Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest is Simon Weiss, who was the miniature unit supervisor on the film Asteroid City. In this episode, we'll delve into the miniature world of Simon's as we talk about his work on Asteroid City and other projects. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Simon. Hi, Simon. Thank you for joining me today. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad we can organize something. I know um, I'm quite intrigued to sort of jump into the whole world of sort of miniatures and prop making. And um, I'm really happy that we could organize something and talk about Asteroid City as well. Mm -hmm. But before we sort of jump in to, to talk about the film itself, can you tell me, Tell us a little bit more about what you and your team do and what is it like working with miniatures and what it and what prop making entails. The thing is, um, I have been working for miniature sets, let's say more than 30 years ago on, on, on films like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen by Terry Gilliam and uh, Event Horizon, which was shot in Pinewood Studios. But... There was a time CGI arrived, so all these computers doing fantastic things, and I said to myself, okay, my work as miniature uh, maker for model maker for visual effects is done. I'm done. I can't work on this anymore. So I specialized in prop making for films. So because you still need very special props for, for example, for science fiction films. So you need to build special guns or for historical films, you, I don't know, you have a medical instrument, which you can't find, you have to build it. So over the years, I went from miniatures to prop making. But I must say that these last years, and mostly because of Wes Anderson, but also with other filmmakers, they like to come back to these, yeah, let's say, old traditional techniques for films. To be honest, I have too much to do because everybody's asking, oh, can we have uh, for our visual effects those uh, miniatures like you did 20 or 30 years uh, before and uh, it's amazing because it's not only films it's commercials uh, maybe some music videos where they need the, these techniques so it's it's it was surprising for me that this is coming back and and uh, i have a, a good crew it's not easy to find uh, new people working with these uh, techniques because most of the time younger people uh, think we can do everything on the computer, which is right. I, I, I like to work with CGI in addition to our miniatures, but sometimes it's like you have filmmakers who like to shoot on celluloid on film again and it's old and new in the same time so that's very 
it's kind of exciting to do this again in my age of 62. <laughs> it's just quite funny how things have gone full circle that at some point you were saying like when they sort of in, started introducing visual effects more with computer base and the sort of like the idea of like things are moving along technologically but then it's funny at a certain point now miniatures have come back in fashion shall we say in the way that people are wanting to create things especially like for me when i was younger i think my first sort of experience with seeing miniatures on screen uh, was probably something to do with, like captain scarlet or stingray and um, with the puppets and how they uh, used to create their worlds and in a way like i know these shows can be quite old so it looks a bit dated now but in a way there's like there's a certain magic about it that there's something been built to a certain spec but it still looks really cool compared to like a computer generated image yeah but i mean the the audience has also changed if you you can't build miniatures miniature worlds as you have been doing them in the 50s or 60s it wouldn't fit in in the understanding of the audience uh, today when we're building those those models they today they are much bigger and vaster than than in the 50s or 60s because the eye of the of of the audience in cinemas or even on tv has has changed so in the 50s you could have like the thunderbirds for example because you were speaking about these older things 50s 60s i think some thunderbirds are from the 60s or maybe even the 70s but you couldn't do that today it 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 doesn't look right and Okay, in the last 10 years, I've been working a lot with uh, Wes Anderson. And if he's choosing miniatures, they are very detailed in a, and in a very special context. And um, I would say that using those miniatures today in a film, it's more or less a real artistic choice. Uh, filmmakers are, are doing it's sometimes it looks artificial it's 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 not a, right but it's even with big sets you can build them on, in different ways you don't have to show a reality you build them in a certain way they contribute to the general artistic view of of the film it's very hard to explain yeah, even even with other filmmakers now they say I want a miniature along with uh, CGI just to create something else, and um, it's always a long discussion. And I must also say that okay, Wes Anderson understands totally how these miniatures work, but sometimes I'm asked by younger filmmakers, uh, uh, oh, I I would like to have miniatures, but then I explain it's it's a very long way to get there. You you need to to do this step by step, and uh, you need to add uh, CGI and uh, all these techniques can can work to together. It's not easy. It's it's. Um, I also think 
it's it's quite expensive because you need all these model makers for weeks and months and uh, then the producers will say oh that's much too expensive why don't we come back to to cgi and that's always a discussion between me the the filmmaker the producers Sometimes I'm discussing more about money than creativity in a film. And just to sort of go back to your point as well, um, when you have younger filmmakers trying to incorporate miniatures, I think you're right that you need to know how you're going to sort of blend the idea into your story and make it work. I do have a question about perspectives and sizes but i'll come back to that a little bit later on but i think it's like important it's like knowing the usage of them and when to have them into your scene and how to blend them in in the edit as well uh, with the camera choices but i think you pointed out as well it's like if it comes down to a lot of time is money because i'm sure you will have to use very specific materials for building a house for example or even in asteroid city the 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 desert plains yeah, but uh, it's it, it it's not really the the, the material. The materials are not expensive. It's the the time and of of all the model makers uh, because you can't do this quickly. And it's the wages of the people as you work on it for for weeks and months. And I have crazy people working with me. They, to be honest, nobody really learned learn this as as a profession i have really passionate people one i don't know one is carpenter the other one is, is an architect and uh, uh, even sometimes when they have been working all all day long in my workshop in our workshop they come home and s- carry on assembling uh, plastic kits from star wars or, or whatever <laughs> So, yeah, no, the materials, uh, you know, even with those new techniques uh, with 3D printing, I like 3D printing a lot, but uh, in the media, sometimes it's presented as the solution for, for model making. But for me, it's just another tool. So... It's it's the same tool as a, as a bandsaw or or even a hammer. <laughs> it's very good sometimes, but if you mix all these techniques together and the skills of the people, it you can go very far in what you what you are doing. Coming back to to the filmmaking and the shooting. With West, sometimes he's shooting. I mean, on on the French Dispatch, he was shooting in a town called Angoulême in in, in France, and he had some views in that city. And in, in the background, you had some modern buildings. So he took the actual shooting, and we have been building models for the background uh, to replace those spaces with the 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 modern ones but that is more you are thinking of this once it's it's shot not not before another thing hard to explain (laughs) Uh, i i think i know what you mean in terms of like the perspective of what you have 
um, in terms of like, for example, as you said, in French dispatch, I think if there's uh, items that they want to put in um, and then using those sort of models to hide what they've shot in terms of like adding to the scene rather than slash taking away. Like it's like the, you know, the old, like when you see the really old uh, stunt videos from like Buster Keaton days where it's like a, a matte painting effectively of like when it looks like he's falling down a you know, falling down an elevator shaft, for example. It's not actually him doing that. It's just the way that they've created the sort of design of it all. Yeah, I, I agree. But again, normally these times you you can just easily do this with a, with a bit of CGI. I mean, you can even do this in home office now. So <laughs> you, don't, you don't need a huge uh, calculating station. It's, uh, it has become so easy. So why are we doing this? Sometimes I'm wondering myself, we're doing this because still like to keep those those real techniques uh, and and maybe give some life to it because nothing against cgi but sometimes it looks a bit too clean too too uh, a bit dead and it's so perfect and when we build our our models it's an amount of imperfection so you have that we are not doing architecture models where everything is straight we are building those things a bit like in reality like you would build a, a villa you would have that villa and maybe some tire, tires are not right and the plants are growing over over the roof and the, so all these little details make these uh, miniatures uh, reliable and uh, and real but again i'm always talking about this that artistic choice you really need you really need to to want it do you want these these imperfections in 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 your films yeah and i think having those having those uh, miniatures where you're talking about how it's different to cgi it's like creating a more lived in environment for people to be transformed in uh, rather than that clean look and i think as well like the just the miniature little details of like on a like on a train for example in asteroid city is the the way that it's probably even though it's painted in a specific yellow but that specific yellow will need to have that sort of dust look to it to see that it's been it's something that's been used constantly over the how many years um the train service has been running yeah talking about that train in asteroid city that was amazing because that's a bit a problem with our profession because when you are speaking about model making people immediately think about model trains so a lot of people think that at my home where i have no miniatures i try to stay clean <laughs> uh, they think i have a, a big train thing in my in at my home maybe in the basement but no <laughs> <laughs> but that train from Asteroid City was quite particular because production said to us, oh, uh, we would like to have those trains as big as possible. Miniatures, but very big. And I said, okay, uh, I'm not really used to that because in Europe we have certain scales of, of trains and the 
biggest you can find. Uh, think in 20-second scale, scale, and they are mostly in the UK. But then they said to me, but you know, in America, we have these huge trains in eighth scale. And, you know, everything is bigger in America. So they they have these huge trains where the main engine of the train we had was two meters long. And uh, you have these Americans in Texas and elsewhere where they have huge gardens. It's more than a garden. It's a park. And they are running that their trains there. So we got all these pieces from the U.S., I got all this in my small workshop in in Berlin, and we had to assemble all those metal pieces, we heavy metal pieces, to to build that train. So actually, they have all these pieces for a train from the fifties, which is called the EMDF seven. Then. Wes came up and said, okay, but I want the main engine in, in yellow and a bright yellow. And then all the cars behind, they will have, they will not look like normal cars behind a train. We had cars with avocados on it. You would never, you would never uh, ship avocados just throwing them on a, on a train car we uh, we had a nuclear bomb and all this <laughs> this eight scale was crazy and to explain how how we shot this the film asteroid city was shot in a small city near madrid called chinchon and they have built a huge set which was one and a half kilometer long with a village in the middle with holiday houses and a gas station and a diner and everything. Everything was built there. And once they have finished principal photography with all the actors, we came with all our train parts and used uh, that set they have taken off the houses and the gas station. We use the background for our train shooting. So that's a, that was very interesting because we had our train in eighth scale and then those huge mountains in the background. And I was not sure if it would work, but it it worked. Sometimes we had problems because... You had a road with a false perspective, but the false perspective was done for a full-size set, but not for our train. So we never used that false perspective. But it's crazy because we we used that huge set uh, to set up all our tracks for the train. It, we even had a motion, a remote control for for the main um, engine. And we had six weeks of shooting for one minute and 20 seconds of <laughs> footage with that train. Wow. That's, um, I know in the film that like sometimes they do have a number of weeks to film a scene and it will be cut down, but six weeks to equate to like one minute and 30 footage is pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, on the French Dispatch, we had uh, 
a view of an imaginary town called Ennui sur Blasé. It, it was an imaginary Paris from the 50s. We were building that model of that town in the foreground and the background for about three months. And uh, in the film, you see that that landscape with the city for about one second and a half. But it's okay. It's it's not it's not it's not a problem. The, the important thing is that you see it one time, and even if it's one one second, if you have half a million uh, people watching this. Um, it's going to be half a million seconds. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it, that um, the more eyes on it, the more times it's being seen. I, I, I There is something that you mentioned as well, um, whilst you explained the whole train sequence, and that's about uh, the size of the models. Because I know sometimes when people think, when there's certain times where there's certain directors that will use miniatures, but the miniatures will actually be quite big so it could actually even though it is a miniature of a big fortress they could still be uh 10 feet uh high and 20 feet wide so it's not exactly a miniature miniature but when it comes to building these sets and uh creating something for size where do you go about in terms of thinking about how much of a scale we should use is that something that's discussed between yourself and the production designer and and wes or is it a case of we follow a set um scale it's indeed a discussion mostly with production designer maybe also with the director of photography no wes wes he wants to see the finished image he doesn't really care about scales but we are there with the production designer to to tell okay, we could do this at this scale or this scale. The bigger you can build, the better it is. But uh, the bigger it is, it also gets more complicated to shoot because you you, you need to, to ship it somewhere to, to be shot. And then what's really important for a scale, for a miniature, is what kind of elements you have with. For example, I... Always avoid to take to 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 shoot a miniature with elements like water, fire, or smoke, because I'm coming back again to those fifties and sixties thing. At that time, it it would work perfectly. But today, if you have that miniature and it's raining and you see huge drops on that miniatures, you it doesn't work. So I. I th I'm always saying, okay, we can do a miniature, for example, with rain or water. Let's do it as big as possible. But then those elements are added digitally. And that works perfectly. But otherwise, uh, if there's nothing else uh, uh, like these, uh, these, these physical elements of... Most of the sizes we use, uh, uh, I, I, I like a lot the 18th scale because it's not too small and not too big. And uh, also for a very practical reason, in 18th scale, you have a huge choice of elements you can buy, like cars and uh, 
decorative elements. Then you have interiors where maybe you will have tables and curtains and uh, kitchens. Then I like the 12th style because you can find a lot of good stuff in for dollhouses. You can buy all this mostly from, it's, it's very strange, mostly from Eastern Europe countries and also from, from Spain. So, and then if you have landscapes, you, you haven't got one scale. In the foreground, you will have a bigger scale. Then in the middle, you will have a smaller scale. And then in the background, uh, you, you will have very tiny uh, elements. And this gives you what we call a false perspective. So you have the impression that you have a very deep landscape, but it's just because of the changes of scales from the foreground to the background. There's something I just sort of want to pull a thread on because you're talking about the use of fire, smoke and water and how it just wouldn't work on a model because if you saw a bit of water on a on a small model car, that drop will look huge, um, which is correct. But what happens when you're working on something like this where you're in a desert plain and there's quite a lot of dust? Is that just something that's sort of like touch up that's added or, you know, or if you're shooting something that's going to appear in the film a number of times over the course of the film, do you have to then touch it up every time to make it look like it's been used more and more? Yes, definitely. And uh, it's a combination of all these things. And then, I mean, if you have a desert plane, you can't with the model. I think then it would go to stop motion. So, uh, you need to to film it frame by frame, and you can add stuff like 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 dust. But filming this as a model, moving model as it is, doesn't work so much. So that that's where stop motion gets involved. And an asteroid city, we. We quite had some some example, and this is not done by us. We are working with people who are specialized in stop motion, like Andy Jen from AM, AMS in London, and he's doing a fantastic work with Wes uh, since years. He he was doing the on Asteroid City. He was doing that bird, that Roadrunner, and that's a stop motion thing. What is also very important on those miniatures, like a plane, is the the paint and the patina. Because very often you have stuff and are coming back to things from the 60s and 70s, like like the old Star Trek, where everything is so clean. What we try to do today is to work out the patina so much that it it looks used and, uh, and not old, but used. And that makes it uh, believable. I guess it's like that's sort of quite a fascinating answer for those sort of questions, just because of how much detail needs to be added on to something, but then also the continuity of the models throughout the, the time that they're used on a film, which I can imagine be, could be quite a bit of a headache, Um, just because then it's like, well, for this scene, we actually need to use this one or this, we need to use that one. But then also it's just like the touching up of uh, various things. It's quite interesting about the point as well about the bird uh, where you see scuttering across, that was a stop motion, which sometimes you forget in films. And I think 
I quite like stop motion uh, animation. Wallace and Gromit being the biggest uh, sort of love of mine for stop motion. But I think as well, like as an audience member, when these things happen, you don't get taken out of it. And there's something that I'm kind of want to follow up on as well. It's like the perspective, the use of perspective and the size of models. Because I was watching behind the scenes, I think it's on Vox, where they were showing how certain things, how certain scenes are made. And as an audience member, when you're watching it at the time, I don't think you actually realize just that it's actually miniatures. And that sort of a perspective at times as well like for example the alien ship landing whilst the actors are there with that sort of perspective i'm sure it's blended in in editing but when you're seeing that on screen it doesn't you know it, it just looks perfect I, I there's no other way to sort of just describe it and it doesn't and it just looks incredible but what i'm curious about as well is like is that blending happen because they've already shot a certain amount of time of actors and you guys come in do you guys so is it more of a blending in the sort of edit rather than you guys being there to shoot your stuff or is it a case of having that already shot images and then sort of just playing around with it where to place uh, miniatures yeah i mean the that scene with the spaceship is a very good example because they have shot uh, scenes with the actors and background of a crater and then you have that spaceship on top now this is a composite it's a composed image you have i mean wes would go as far as possible in avoiding compositing but at one moment you have no choice so they have shot in uh, in that full size crate in Chinchon with the actors, we have built a, a crater at the scale of of the spaceship, but later on, it was composed, and uh, I was quite quite surprised because uh, I I was a bit skeptical about how would this work together, but again, it's it's. It's, a, it's very quick, so you don't notice. I see some mistakes when when I watch it, as I'm working on this, and ah, they could have done a bit differently. But for the audience, it's, it's really okay. I, maybe I would like to add something, because on Asteroid City, we did also a lot of props, a pr lot of prop making. For example, you have all these vending machines with the martini machines with ammunition with stockings and, uh, and milk and beer and Wes and the production designer said to us maybe as you are building those miniatures we we want that same quality of work in in the props in some props so we did these vending machines we did all the inventions, the young people who went to that invention con convention, they we did all of them. The uh, all these tiny machines uh, they they had. So actually, this was a model making in full size. I don't know if you you would have people building props, but production designer insisted 
uh, to have us to to do those um, those props and that was uh, very funny because working on these all these inventions we we had to invent ideas ourselves to to, to make uh, all this work yeah, i do want to go on to the sort of martini cocktail making machines i think as well just following up on the invention convention should we say with the science i think because like the these films have a certain stylistic uh, look and feel and even sort of tone, do you get a little bit more free reign that you could make these prop these props a little bit more sort of kooky and a little bit more because there is that sci-fi element, but you can scale back on that sci-fi element and make it more of a you can make the you could design it a little bit you could have a little bit more creative freedom, should I say, with it? Yeah, even if the in the beginning the art department is drawing quite uh, good sketches about um, these props and even miniatures. We we, we get g- good drawings by uh, Turtle Griffin and uh, another guy, but then the drawings we get, which are approved by Wes and, and Adam Stockhausen, the production designer, they still give us a certain uh, uh, freedom to to adapt the drawing in our way because on the sometimes on the drawing it, it it looks so good but when when you try to build the volume it doesn't work all the time then you realize okay you have to you have to add stuff or change a bit the the, the size and the, the shape of these props or, or models so they leave us a certain freedom in what we are creating while we're doing this. And when we are building these miniatures of props, I'm always sending to 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 Adam Stockhausen or Wes Anderson or even the producer the the pictures of the work in progress. So because sometimes we, we, we as I said, we realize, oh, this looks good on the drawing, but when you build it, it doesn't work. So, or we we keep it like th- like that, or we change it, and uh, yeah, that's all the work in progress, decision, and discussions we have. It's a whole pro- process we are we are doing. Yeah, and it's sort of a one that's sort of always in like a prototype, as in there's a lot of probably research and development and how what how it's going to look how can you go from one you know even if there's somebody who's drawn something it might not be practical when you're actually making it because of size or design or whatnot so i can imagine a lot goes into that and how it's going to look and play out on screen yeah and then another thing which i realized these recent years it's it's that as i said paint patina is very important but also the graphics for the Wes Anderson films and even on uh, Asteroid City, we have a fantastic person called Erica Dawn. He's working on all, all those graphics for the film from the beginning to the end. It's not, it's not only for the miniatures, it's also for, for our props. If you add a good working graphic on what we are doing, it changes everything. When you mention about the uh, working graphic, what does that necessarily change? Is that just something because 
um, let's just say the graphic they're adding on needs to use uh, acrylic to stick onto it, will that affect the design or is it a case of incorporating a graphic onto the prop itself? It's like uh, in Astra City in the beginning, it starts in a TV studio, then it goes to a theater. In the TV studio, for example, you have those huge cameras. Those cameras, even those cameras were built by us. So we can build a camera, but then you have these small invisible letterings on, on that camera, maybe numbers. And I don't know, it's like you, you have a mechanical piece uh, for a car. So there's always something written on it. And uh, I, I think very often it's, it's, it is forgotten. And Wes, for Wes, all this graphic department is very important. And you find graphics in all our miniatures and everywhere and, and, and writings on the houses. And, and if this isn't there, it doesn't work. So... I realized this a few years ago that yeah, graphics, mostly lettering, are it's it's like a good patina. It's, you need it to make to make it believable. I just have another sort of question as well. I've got a few more questions that I would like to ask. But there's one you mentioned a thing called patina. What what is a patina? Because I don't actually know, and I don't want to pretend that I know what it is. Patina is is uh, you paint something. And then a patina would be maybe the dirty down of something. And that's a big issue because I have a lot of good painters. They are perfect in painting a full-size set. I mean, doors or whatever. But then you have a miniature, let's say in 18th scale, and they have to paint all this in 18th scale. And um, then you have maybe a, a water rundown somewhere you can't you just can't go there with a big brush you need a very fine brush and think how this dirty water would run down a wall so it goes into the bricks and then maybe to the window and this is what i call a patina it's a uh, you can have a patina on on a full size set you you dirt it down but it's just more difficult on a, on a miniature because you you have to think very, uh, very smaller and i must say it's a big problem for me i for the moment i have two very good painters who understand this who understand that in a miniature the paint would l look very different from a, a full size set and sometimes we are discussing and arguing about uh, about that paint and, and what I call pat patina because it's it's done too roughly like on the big set on the miniature you need really to think how I gonna do this uh, in in that scale and the smaller it is the more difficult it, it is because you 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 need the smaller it is you the more time you will spend with your small brush on on that model i hope this explains a bit <laughs> yeah i totally I, I i personally totally get it it's this sort of this as you said the dirtying down of models and having it more lived in but it's also the as an artist having the finesse to be able to know 
how to do it because it's like as you said slightly different if you had a 100 foot wall compared to a um you know one foot wall where you'd be have to be very delicate in the way it's done yeah and also uh, that's another thing when you look at the the model with your eyes you think oh that looks dirty and that looks old but that, then you put a camera on it and it's very strange it with the camera it becomes clean so we exaggerate the painting and that patina we make it as dirty as possible and it's very strange you put a camera on it even a film camera it doesn't look the same so we try to 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 sometimes we have a a model and in our workshop we we use cameras ourselves to see how how does it look on the screen yeah and i'm sure like there's there's probably endless tests that you guys have to do as well in terms of like how things will look on screen and little sort of intricate details that need to be added on which is also something that's quite mind blowing as like an audience member uh, just because I guess as an audience member, you don't process in your mind that these things need to be taken into consideration. Like, as you said, how would water trickle down on this cart or how, you know, how the gutters would look on a house uh, after being built 50 years ago, for example, of the time period, which is something, again, it's like those miniature details is stuff that make or break your the look really, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, we are, we are practicing this uh, since years and uh, you know still now we are sometimes hesitating how we we gonna paint this and how we're gonna do this and it, even you work for weeks and months on certain models and then you arrive at the studio and uh, suddenly the director of photography is coming putting all this light on these miniatures and it looks so different you discover your work because in the workshop you never have those conditions you never have those lighting conditions and uh, then most of the time we will have to change stuff in in in, in the last minute because before it's, it's shut but you you get used to you know once you're in the studio you will have to not to repaint the whole thing, but nearly. On <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, unfortunately, that is something that probably happens as well, and it's just probably quite frustrating. But then also, I guess, probably rewarding once you sort of get it right and it's ready to shoot. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Sometimes it happens that we we have built something, and then you you arrive on set, and then nobody likes it. <laughs> so it's just cancelled that happens as as well but uh, you never know and uh, but also we have been working on 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 other sets where i was thinking oh i'm not sure this this is going to work and i really don't like it but then with the magic of the light and the camera suddenly it looks so good and so bright this is still surprising myself I, I guess that's a good sign as well if it's still surprising you after all this time. And I guess that's like the magic of what you do and how it looks on screen. But I still think that's still cool to hear that it still surprises you even it's, to now. It's, it's, it's still a... Every new film and every new model is a new challenge. 
you can't say, okay, I'm I will be doing the same thing as the last time because maybe the director wants something different and then we have another building and then we there are other factors who who make this thing more difficult or easier okay you have your experience but again uh, every time it's a new challenge but i like challenges so it's a good thing <laughs> what's a job without a challenge eh? what i'm also curious about is the film jumps between scenes where there is is black and white and then there's color and it is very sort of like quite distinct that when there's the color scenes there's a very distinct color palette uh, the way that things are look but then also when it's in black and white it, it, i can imagine it's been slightly different in terms of just how you create things uh, what i'm curious about is do you create the miniatures in black and white or do you create them in a color that what's being shot can be converted into black and white so then the colors aren't as as bright or offensive when the um, camera picks it up no we create them with colors with the real colors because if you try to to have these gray these different gray shades nu nuances of gray that can be very risky you would never you think you're doing things in black and white, but no, you start from from a color. I mean, it's like if you you're shooting a, a live scene on the streets, for example, which is built in a studio. They would, I guess so. They would build it and paint it with the real colors. It's just shot in black and white, and uh, for me, it works. Better. So if you try to recreate a, a black and white scene, I we made it, but it didn't really work. So we just start from reality. Okay, that's quite interesting to hear because I know that sometimes on certain shows where they have a black and white scene, they usually shoot in a certain color that doesn't pick up, like they can convert into black and white later on. But to hear that these uh, miniature has been built in a specific way and not to risk it is quite quite fascinating as well because that's something that probably needs to play in in your mind as well that there is a certain way that this needs to be made and you can't risk doing it a certain uh, a different way in in, in asteroid city we had that uh, brian cranston is on a tv show and behind him we have a new york a, a cityscape and I must say that was more or less a black and white set because we, we knew it's going to be shot in, in black and white. But even then, even then we had, we didn't have different grays. Uh, even the walls, we had maybe a bit yellow in it, maybe just something, but not a pure black and white image. It, I don't know. It's it, it must be something psychological as well to to do it that way quite interesting i wonder what the psychology of it all is but i think that that is something that we can delve into on another day just to kind of go to my penultimate question what was your favorite miniature to build slash what was the most sort of satisfying uh, miniature used in the sh in the film that kind of made the audience think that was actually built for to scale I must say it was the outside of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Because after all these years of prop making, 
production from Wes Anderson and the producer Je Jeremy Dawson, they came to me while they were shooting in in Germany in an old um, store where they have built all the interior of the hotel. And they uh, they asked it, is there still somebody in Germany who can do miniatures uh, for a film? And then people who knew me, they said, yeah, we still have somebody in the studio bubbles, but they said, you should go and see Simon. And this hotel was so unique that I had that big surprise okay, I'm doing miniatures again. And in the end, I like that hotel because it worked and it looks so much. It was on the main poster for the film. Yeah, that was the most exciting these last years. And uh, and uh, I must say, I was quite proud about this with my crew being able to do this. And then Asteroid City, now we have the train and we are also quite proud of it. Yeah, there's two solid choices because I think when I was doing research, I saw that the, uh, the in the Grand Budapest Hotel, the hotel itself being a miniature, and I think you, you said it was about I think it was about four or five meters long, and it just it does look incredible. But I think on top of that is the color palette used for the pink and having that sort of snow area. Looking at it and then the design it is quite incredible, and I think it's one of those that's quite up there that when you see miniature usage in film, it's like wow that's it takes your breath away it's the same when you see the hogwarts castle and seeing that was made as a miniature and you just think like i don't know i i guess as someone that's like that it, someone has built this hand by hand and it's like the delicateness needed and the finesse needed to create this rather than something that's done on a computer which i'm sure it can be just as impressive but that sort of handcraft is something that you just can't take away to take your breath away yeah I mean, the, the Grand Budapest Hotel, when you look at it precisely in the beginning, in that hotel, it it looks handcrafted, it looks uh, artificial, but it's just done on purpose. So, and it, it works. For There's one example, you, the entrance of the hotel, the main door, they have built one in full size with the actors, for the actors, and the car in front of that door. And then you see the main entrance of our miniature hotel and those two pictures look totally different and it's uh, there's no continuity it uh, uh, you need to watch it again and you see that uh, that main entrance and it doesn't correspond at all those two pictures but the audience doesn't know and they doesn't know they don't notice and that's the magic of the cinema you are such into that story, and uh, so you you have those mistakes. But this this was a mistake made by purpose because I said, "Oh no, our our entrance in, on the model looks so different from what what you have built." And they said, "No problem, just leave it like that. The audience will never notice." And it's true. <laughs> I think I'll need to go back to that now and see yeah. if we can point pinpoint that out. I'm sure there'll be something on the web as well. Where somebody's like, oh, I've got you. I've got it where there's like a continuity error. Just to wrap up the episode, how have you found the response to uh, Asteroid City and to your work being present in it? I know in the UK, they've got an exhibition on the Strand with all the miniatures, which is which is something they've done before with Isle of Dogs. And that must be quite cool with people being able to access and see firsthand your work. 
that's not you know not on the screen but like be able to basically get as close as possible to actually see like wow they built this oh look at the detail on this yeah people realize that uh, i was the, uh, at the opening of the exhibition and i i was watching all the people visiting this and uh, they were quite impressed that I spoke with people, they said, oh, I thought it it, it was done in, in CGI. No, it was actual models. So that's, an, that's another thing. I mean, you have that, that, that exhibition and most of the stuff we, we do is just uh, thrown in the bin once it has been shot. And I'm trying to, to save this stuff. So we have things like the the exhibitions at, at the Strand where they are doing a fantastic work. But then once that is gone, with the production, Wes is saving some of the miniatures and the props. And we have also, uh, there's a museum in France called the uh, Museum of um, Cinema and Miniatures in Lyon, France. And they take quite a lot of stuff uh, from us to just to to show it again to to the people and and i like it because it's it's a bit of shame that that all these all this work is just thrown thrown away so i try to 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 save as as much as possible but also when the people are coming to see the the exhibition and they see those those miniatures and they are wondering because sometimes they they look complicated in the film but when you see them in real they are so simple and as i said it's the magic of the light and the shooting who who uh, uh, makes them alive <laughs> With the way that it's lit and presented on screen, as you said, like people being amazed that actually there's not that much detail, but then it's just like, that's just the magic of filmmaking, the way that, you know, the lights, camera and action of it all is what it brings together. But I think as well, um, hearing you when you're sort of just talking to people who visited the exhibition and just how I think we were so accustomed that that CGI, but then... I wonder, like, I, I can imagine, like, their faces being slightly blown away that actually, wow, like, this is all models, this is all handcrafted, and it's just, I think there's just, again, a certain certain art to it that it's a great way that people are discovering it and that you can see these things for real rather than, for, like, just, for example, like a video on YouTube. I think there's just a different feel to it, seeing it and the scale and the, I guess it's for, you feel... Not not intimacy. It's probably the wrong word, but it's the you as an audience member. Again, it's like another way of you being transported into the film and being having those moments by yourself to see it in person. But just a bit to come back to your question, Asteroid City. I can understand that this is the kind of film which is not for everybody because it's it's another world. It's um, it has yeah, let's say an intellectual uh, side. And some people, they, even friends, they go and watch it. Because, oh, we want to see the work you have been doing. But then they say, oh, uh, I didn't understand anything uh, in the film. Uh, but I say to them, no, that's okay. It's it's not everybody's taste. And uh, even for me, uh, 
there are things I like in it, others not. And um, yeah, and the audience can be critical, but that's okay. And I have other people who are saying, oh, that's the best film I've seen since a few years. So uh, it depends how how it touches the the mind of of uh, of the people but yeah you like it or you don't like it and that's okay <laughs> and that's the beauty of art it's all subjective and we can always jump into it i think with the film i, I think uh, as an audience member it's a bit like oh, what's go it takes a bit of time to actually understand what's going on but i think there's one critical scene which kind of wraps it all up nicely and that's when Jason Schwartzman's character comes out and he talks to Margot Robbie's character and then you kind of understand that it's like understanding your place in a world due to certain events you have the kids trying to find their place in the world as kids you've got father trying to find his place in the world after the death of his wife and it's also then the writer who's writing the play is like finding his way in the world by telling his message and it just has great moments like that where you kind of just like when it clicks it's incredible. And I think what occurs to me in my mind as well is like the quote that Paul Schrader had said is like, the best sign of a film is when it starts after you leave the cinema. So you're still thinking about it and going through it. And there's those sort of moments. And it's not just the moments as well, but it's also the imagery of the film and the miniatures used and the style that's enhanced in it. Yeah, that's a very great... <laughs> A moment to say to say this. I thank you for that. No, Simon. Thank you for joining me and speaking to me about Asteroid City, which is uh, out on VOD now. So go out, watch it, see Simon's work. Um, I'll make sure that there's a link to images that you've posted as well, uh, so people can see uh, the craft and all the hard work that you and your team have, have put in, not just for Asteroid City, but but for previous uh, films as well. Thank you so much. You take care now, Simon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.